Uh, we're reading verses 1 to 7, so please read along with me. That's page 487 in your Bibles. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The next passage we're reading is from the book of 1 John, uh, which I believe is on page 862 of your Bibles. And we're reading from the first chapter. Um, we're actually reading up until the second verse of chapter 2. So 1 John 1, starting at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for you are a relational God, a God who speaks so clearly. We ask that you would breathe these words into our hearts and minds um, to equip us, um, to rebuke us, and to refresh us. And help us through your spirit to hear your word humbly 
and to trust in it. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a couple of years ago, uh, I was having a conversation with someone, a uh, friend, and uh, a question came up. It says, if Jesus says you need to give up everything to follow him, but your life doesn't show it, is that person a Christian? He says, uh, he says, is there such a thing as a Christian who continues to sin? Grape vines bear grapes, not mangoes. There is no such a Christian. After that conversation, it made me wonder. I questioned my own Christianity um, and the Christianity of those around me. And I think others at the conversation, they were a bit shaken as well. At what level of Christian living and godliness must I be before I can be sure that I'm Christian? What makes you a Christian? Now, before we look into today's passage a bit more deeply, uh, we kind of need to set the scene. Um, so look with me to chapter 2, verse 18. It's just um, the chapter right after. And I'll read, uh, I will read for us from 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to 20. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. So, this is um, the setting. John is writing to a church where people have actually left them. How would you respond if people started leaving this church? At the very least, it would at least make you question, why is that? Why are they doing that? And what if people who are leaving are those whom you respect, those who, are, who seem more spiritual, uh, who seem more knowledgeable? Maybe you'd start asking, well, is there something wrong with the church or with this group of Christians? Or is there something wrong with me? Imagine if people started leaving, wouldn't your confidence start to get shaken? This is the situation of the recipients of 1 John. There are people leaving the church, and I think it's causing some uncertainty, some confusion. The book of 1 John is sometimes described as tests for genuine Christianity. Um, if you don't obey God, then are you, you, know, you better think twice. Are you really Christian? It sometimes can seem like a fierce warning. But I think it really shouldn't be viewed that way. I think, that's, um, I think the way we should understand this letter is that amidst people leaving the church, John is writing to reassure um, his readers, reassure them that they are right, and these guys who are leaving the church, they are in the wrong. He's giving them guidelines um, to distinguish or, dis or differentiate between what is true and what is false. It's reassurance telling them not to leave biblical Christianity, and not to leave the gospel which they have proclaimed. So today, we will look at the topic of um, sin and how we can have assurance of forgiveness and fellowship with God. In verses 3 and 4, chapter 1, we learn that as we hear and believe the apostles' gospel message, we have fellowship with God the Father 
and the Son through this good news that they preach. When it says fellowship, um, think of close relationship, like sharing your favorite meal with, the close, with people close to you. The way we have this close relationship with God is through the gospel of Jesus, which is proclaimed. And in verse 5, he highlights uh, what God is like. It says that God is light. And I'm reading from the ESV, uh, English Standard Version. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. What does it mean that God is light? I think in context it means that He's holy, He's pure, um, He's perfectly blameless, moral, good, and in Him there is no sin at all. Have you ever looked directly into bright light? You can all experience light without darkness. All you have to do is in a hot summer's afternoon, a clear blue sky, just stare straight into the sun. But I, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> so near where I live um, in UNSW, it's actually quite a hilly place. And one time I was driving my car up the hill um, and somehow the angle of the sun and uh, my, my, my front window just, it fit perfectly and the sun just shines straight into my eyes. Um, I actually had to brake all the way to a full stop, um, not knowing if there was a car behind me or in front of me. I just couldn't see anything. Well, God is light, and He is perfect holiness, even without a hint of evil at all. Can we have fellowship with such a God? If yes, then how can we know that we can have a fellowship with this God? We're at point three of the outline, if you're, if you're using that to help you. Um, the next section from verses four to no, sorry, verse six to ten, which is also up on the screen, um, addresses some false claims, and I'll just briefly outline these verses, and I think it'll help us understand it better. Um, from verses six to ten, John gives three statements, three false claims. It's up on the slide. So if we claim we have fellowship with Him but walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We say we have no sin. Uh, we say we have not sinned. We make God a liar, and His word is not in us. So, if you look at, um, look with me to verse six. On first glance, it's fairly straightforward, isn't it? If you claim to have fellowship that is in a relationship with God, who is light, but still walk in darkness, then it's contradictory. You're lying, and you don't practice the truth. But what does it mean to walk in darkness? Uh, one possibility is that it's talking about sinful conduct. You know, walking in darkness often used to describe sinful lifestyle. Um, while, if, while this is true theologically, and it's mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, um, I wonder if um, this is what it's saying in today's passage. I think the pattern of uh, how John writes actually gives us a clue to understand what it means to walk in darkness. So can you see the parallel? I think he's talking about the same thing. Verse 6 is the heading in which he expands on. I think walking in darkness here in verse 6 means not acknowledging or not confessing sin. It means not acknowledging or not confessing sin. And sin is not just the bad stuff you do. Sin, in, in the book of John, actually he describes, this as, describes it as lawlessness. And the heart of sin 
is the rejection of the God, the lawmaker, and our actions and thoughts that flow out from this rejection. So in chapter 1, walking in darkness, not admitting that we are sinful, is actually the start of the problem, which later is expressed by not loving others or, or the other sins that we do. See, if you and I don't think we're sinful, then of course there's all this allowance to sin in all sorts of ways, isn't it? So the claim to not have sinned or to be without sin shows one to actually be a liar. And John says it's lying in a very comprehensive and complete way, not only lying to others, but to yourself, and even making God out to be a liar. Now John says that if anyone calls themselves Christians, claiming to know God, but think that they don't have a sin problem, they don't actually have a relationship with God. They don't practice the truth, they don't know the truth, and they don't have, um, and God's word is not in them, verse 10. So they don't have the gospel truth. Um, you may have heard the gospel message many, many, many times in your lifetime, but until it brings us to recognize um, our sin, it actually has not taken root. The message has just fallen on deaf ears, on rocky hard ground. But maybe sometimes the claim are less extreme, and not that you've never sinned at all, um, but since they, you know, since they became Christian, they don't have a problem of sin anymore. They don't struggle with it. Uh, they claim unusual victory over sin, and that's causing doubt to arise within the church. But John is calling them out, calling these guys out. He says, these guys may look impressive, but they don't actually have fellowship with God or with us. They don't even know the gospel truth. In fact, if we deny sin, we're actually walking in darkness. We can't see anything. A few weeks ago, I was at a farm stay, um, and at night, I wanted to go to my car to grab my hoodie. It was getting a bit cold. And as I was walking out of the house towards my car, I'm, it was pitch black. And I merely thought, man, this is Australia. There could be deadly snakes Cows, deadly spiders, dog poop, all sorts of dangerous things out there. And I, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't even see my car. That's how it is when we think we are without sin. We're essentially blinded by our own sin. We don't even see the need for forgiveness before God. C.S. Lewis, um, the great author, the one that wrote Narnia and all that, he says, if you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Are we tempted to think this way? When was the last time we felt the need to confess our sins to God? For some of us, sometimes we think, like myself, we don't think we're that bad actually. Um, I think, well, I didn't do anything that, that bad this week. Um, and we feel pretty good about ourselves and don't see the need for confessing our sins except if you do something really, you know, obviously sinful. Personally, I think there's two reasons why we think like that. Um, one reason is that it's because of just forgetfulness. We forget that God is holy. We forget that God is perfect and His commands are perfect. And sometimes we even forget the gospel. Um, we've got to stop downplaying God and start taking His word seriously. I'm um, going back to the Bible to see who God really is. 
And the second reason is that sometimes it's because of persistent sin. Sometimes it's so persistent that we'd rather deceive ourselves and say that it's okay. It's not that bad. But sin is serious and grievous before the Holy God. And we need to just be real before God. Point four of the outline. John says that the one who walks in denial of sin does not have fellowship with God. Don't walk in darkness. Don't deny that we have a sin problem. But instead, verse 7, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us or purifies us from all sin. John uses that to reassure his readers, if you walk in the light, the result is fellowship and forgiveness. Fellowship with one another and with God and forgiveness because Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin. And blood is not particularly a good cleanser, um, but, speak, but it's speaking of Jesus' death on the cross. How can they know that they are the ones with true fellowship with God? if they walk in the light. And what do you think walking in the light here means? I hope you can see, just like walking in darkness, um, walking in the light here has a pattern as well. Uh, sometimes in the Bible, it's used to mean living godly lives. But in this verse, it's actually parallel. Um, it mirrors verse 9. And it's talking about, and if you see walking in light is compared to confession of sin. Um, look at verse 9 uh, together with me. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So walking in light here means being deeply aware of the presence of sin in our lives and the confession of it. And as we seek God for forgiveness, God is faithful and just to forgive. Just like in the Old Testament passage you read in Isaiah, when Isaiah met God, um, what did he do? He knew he couldn't stand before the holy God. He confessed because he knew that he was sinful. He, had, he was basically doomed before God and he, had, and he was hopeless. Um, but God pardoned his sin. So how can John's, John's readers know that they have fellowship with God and not those who left the church? John says here, the true mark that you are one of God's people, it's not that you have attained victory or conquered sin completely. No, no. The true mark of fellowship with God is honest confession that we have a sin problem and it's looking to Jesus. While there is progress and growth in certain areas of sin, I think growing as a Christian doesn't it make you more sensitive to sin in, around you and sin in your own life? Don't you find that there are more things um, that the Bible or God uh, calls us to live as? Um, while working on the talk, uh, I googled for some research and uh, I saw a Yahoo question which asked, can a true Christian sin? This is a question someone posted on, a, on Yahoo. And the answer is, well, from today's passage, absolutely. I think it makes that clear. And last I checked, I do sin as well. 
as we acknowledge sin in our lives and confessing it, struggling with it over and over, it does not mean that you're not Christian. In fact, it's the opposite. It's precisely this that marks you as one who has fellowship with God. So don't doubt your relationship with God because of sin. Don't despair because of sin. The Christian life is one of daily repentance. And as you do, God forgives. Now don't get me wrong, John is not giving a license to keep on sinning. He is in no way promoting sin. Not at all. Just look at chapter 2 verse 1 right after that. Again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He says later in the passage that no one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. So we who are God's children, um, we are meant to be righteous as God is righteous, to be holy as God is holy. So it's uncharacteristic of us to keep on sinning. It is rebelling and spitting, is, spitting in God's face if we keep telling him that he's irrelevant. So John actually takes sin very seriously. And as we see in the rest of the letter, he goes on to talk about it. And we should take sin seriously too, at least much more than how it's usually taken in our world today. But John is a great pastor. He also understands the reality of the Christian life, um, that on this side of eternity, he knows that we still live in the body of flesh. Um, we still act out in anger. We still gossip or lust or do things that we're not proud of. He knows that while there is transformation as a Christian grows, it will not be complete until Jesus returns and everything is made right and perfect again. So that's why he says in chapter 2, verse 1, do not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I think the NIV reads, uh, uh, Jesus is our defense. Um, in, in English Standard Version, it says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atonement, or he is the propitiation for our sin, not only uh, for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So let's flesh out those great words of comfort. First question is, why do you need an advocate? Why do you need a lawyer before God? So in the movies, if you imagine an interrogation scene, um, the detective is questioning the suspect and asking him all these tough questions, and the suspect accidentally lets slip something. And then he suddenly goes silent, and he says, I want my lawyer. To need an advocate means that there is a problem, isn't it? It's because we're guilty, we, and we deserve God's rightful judgment. See, Jesus is our advocate, he's our lawyer, and what does he do? John highlights that it's Jesus Christ the righteous. He emphasized Christ's righteousness because Jesus is our representative before God. And when God looks at us, he sees not our ugly sin, but the righteousness, the, perfect, the perfection and the obedience of the Son. Jesus is our righteous representative before God. And if you look at verse 2, um, it says he is the atonement or the propitiation for our sin. 
not just ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. What does Christ being the propitiation or atonement for sins mean? Um, that's not a word we use every day. Uh, it means that he appeased or satisfied God's wrath, um, God's anger against us um, by dying on the cross for us. So you see, in the Old Testament, um, when God's people sinned against him, um, when they want to atone uh, or be right with God again, they offer a sin offering. And the elders would lay hands on the bull, and the bull is then um, killed in the altar before God, and then the blood of the bull is sprinkled. It's, just, it's not a pretty sight. The laying hands symbolizes that the bull is actually taking on um, the sin of the congregation, and then the bull actually has to die to atone for the sin. Jesus is that sacrifice. He who knew no sin became sin to bring us to God. Jesus became the most selfish of persons. He became the one with the temper issues. He became the worst of murderers, the pervert. All of our ugly sin, our willful defiance, He took on God's anger. And God, who rightfully gets angry at these things, loosed His great judgment upon Jesus on the cross. He took on the judgment that we rightfully deserve, propitiating or satisfying God, turning aside His anger. All of us here didn't deserve to be sitting here in fellowship with God who is light, but we're here because of Jesus. Which is why in chapter 1, verse 9, John can say, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. He is just because judgment has been dealt at the cross. God didn't just write it off. Jesus satisfied God's wrath for the sins that we have committed, for mine, for the whole world, for all those who trust in Him. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So Jesus is the propitiation for our sin and the one who represents us as our lawyer, our advocate before God. So every time you and I sin, Jesus the lawyer is there. God looks at the portfolio of the lawyer and maybe it shows pictures of the cross, the empty tomb, um, evidence that judgment has been paid for and that it is finished. And through faith in Jesus, His righteousness becomes your righteousness. And when God looks at you, He sees Jesus. Do you realize that if you believe in Jesus, in the Son, nothing you do makes you any better or any worse before God? If you do good works, if you go to church, read the Bible, Maybe you attend five Bible studies a week and you serve in a hundred thousand ways. It's not actually going to get you any better standing with God. But when you do sin, and we do sin, it does not worsen your standing before God. What you do has no effect on your standing because your righteousness is Jesus the Advocate. From God's perspective, you are as righteous as Jesus 
Sin has been paid for. It's a done deal. And this is the ultimate freeing message of the gospel. The Bible tells us this in a hundred different ways, yet we keep on wanting to justify ourselves. We need to remember that it's about what Jesus has already done on behalf of us and to trust in Him. And Jesus actually pays for the sin, propitiates for the sin of the whole world. So why does John include the whole world? I think primarily is to stress how comprehensive and totally sufficient um, Jesus' death on the cross is. You're never going to out-sin His payment on the cross. You're never going to out-sin His payment on the cross. But also, the Bible says that we all have fallen short and that no one is righteous before God, not even one. And we are all um, those who are sinful. So to say that we are not sinful is actually self-deception. But to admit that we are sinful and that we need Jesus, that is quintessential Christianity. That is the norm. That is the mark of a true believer who knows God. Now, there's a very famous preacher and author. Times Magazine in 2005 ranked her as 17th um, in the top 25 most influential evangelicals in America. And a quote from her, a quote from her sermon about sin will be on the screen. So I'm going to read it out for us. This is a quote from her. All I was ever taught to say was I, a poor, miserable sinner. I am not poor, I am not miserable, and I am not a sinner. That is a lie from the pit of hell. This is what I were, and if I, was still, if I still was, then Jesus died in vain. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I, did, I didn't stop sinning until I finally got it through my thick head that I wasn't a sinner anymore. And the religious world thinks that it's heresy and they want to hang you for it. But the Bible says that I am righteous and I can't be righteous and be a sinner at the same time. Can you see what's wrong with this? It's a bit sus, isn't it? She says she stopped sinning. She is no longer a sinner, she claims. A quick read through today's passage. A quick read through today's passage would tell you that she is a liar and has no fellowship with God. So in a world with mixed messages, there's a lot of confusion and uncertainty. How can you tell what is real from what is false? Maybe a start is by asking the question, how do they view sin? Do they downplay it? Do they have the right view of who Jesus is? Sometimes we can ask ourselves those questions. How do we think of ourselves? Do we think we are um, really good people that slips up once in a while? Or are we sinful in need of Jesus? Are we a sinner? Yet, why is this so-called Christian preacher so popular? It's because people hear what they want to hear. That's what people want to hear. We live in a culture that doesn't want to say that anything is negative or anything is wrong. I was at a Christian wedding recently, a very good friend, my housemate actually. Um, and during the wedding, they talked about, you know, amidst the joy of the relationship, um, there are many difficulties, uh, you know, in their sinfulness, sometimes it's hard to love one another. And yeah, they, they were pretty genuine. 
And after the wedding, um, there was food, obviously, and I was in the food line, and uh, someone said to me, you know, there's one thing I really didn't like about the wedding. Um, it's that they talk about sin and failure and death. That's negative, and I didn't like that at all. And I thought about it. Um, Who would want to admit their daily failures, um, their weaknesses, their reliance on somebody else other than yourself? Who would view that as a normal and acceptable thing to do? Well, nobody except Christians, that's who. Because we walk in the light and we are aware of sin. We are aware of the kind of things we are capable of doing if nobody would find out and our struggles with it. And this knowledge of sin is sometimes painful, um, sometimes depressing and frustrating. It can even cause us to doubt or feel deep hopelessness. But God says you don't have to feel that way. We can have confidence that as we recognize and confess sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Rest assured that in honestly confessing our sin, we know we have fellowship with God. And there, before God, stands Jesus, our righteous advocate, our lawyer. And just to clarify, it's not the act of confession that saves you, but recognizing that we're sinful and that drives us to trust in Jesus. It's Jesus' death and resurrection that saves us. So to anyone who says, I don't really think I'm sinful, John would say, well, do you know God? Are you blinded? Maybe it's enough with a self-deception. And if you're honest, surely you don't have to look that far to know that you're sinful before God. And maybe we've met people like that or we ourselves are like that. Uh, maybe it's good to, to, to wonder, um, is it because um, you don't know God or you don't know the gospel? Or is it forgetfulness, forgetting that God is holy? Or is it persistent sin um, and a heart that's been hardened and calloused? We really need to work out why, why we think that way, if we do. Eternal life depends on it. And for those who are deeply aware of sin in our own lives, next time when you sin and confess but still struggling with it and doubt creeps in, you're not sure if you're a Christian, and you're worrying, or someone challenges you, um, it's good to remember this passage here. I was just talking to a congregation member um, earlier this morning. Uh, he said that when he, after he became a Christian, he was worrying about all these sins in his life. And he asked his preacher, um, I'm really worried about all these things in my life. It doesn't, you know, how does this square up? And the preacher said, if you don't worry about it, that's when it's worrying. So tell yourself when you are struggling to look at Jesus, he didn't die for nothing. It's precisely because of sin. And John is saying, brothers, sisters, without a doubt, you have right relationship with God. Christians are sinners, but sinners that are saved by grace. So this is what it looks like to walk in light. It's being able to see sin for what it is and ask God for, for forgiveness in Jesus. Other parts of the Bible says we can even confess sins to one another, be accountable, um, do life together. But don't let the presence of sin 
shake your faith in the gospel. John here says that you're a sinner, and guess what? You're in good company. You're a sinner, and guess what? As you continue to recognize and confess that, you're walking in the light. And when sinners like us look to Jesus Christ, we have assurance of forgiveness and fellowship with God who is light. So next time we sin, don't doubt, don't be ashamed, but confess and come back to Jesus. Trust in His finished work on the cross. Trust in our righteous lawyer and be comforted that we have true fellowship with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, You are light, holy, blameless, and perfect, without sin. We come before You as people who are unclean and sinful. And we thank You that as we confess our sins, You are faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We thank You for Jesus, that His work on the cross is finished, and that through that we have forgiveness, that it is not by our own works, our own efforts. We're sorry for the times that we are self-deceived or conceited. We pray that may your Spirit help us recognize our sin, and may you please help us to repent daily. Lord, by your powerful work, please continue to change and transform us to live lives um, that are godly, lives that please you, um, that glorifies you. But when we do sin, and we will, Lord, help us to rest in your amazing grace and the assurance of the gospel of Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pass the time. Back to you, Scott.